Welcome to the FaithBridge Sermon Podcast. Be sure to keep watching immediately after the sermon for Postscript, a weekly podcast with in-depth content and answers to your questions submitted during the sermon. You can also find it on iTunes or at faithbridge.org slash postscript. Well, howdy. Hey, it's great to see you this morning. I hope that all is well. Uh, always love being here at FaithBridge. I want to start this morning by telling you about a very unfortunate decision that my wife and I made with our oldest son, Noah, several years ago. Uh, When Noah was about a year and a half old, we made the decision to introduce him to the TV show Barney. (laughs) And so enough said uh, right there, but just to fill that out a little, um, we, I, I firmly believe that introducing my son Noah to Barney was probably the biggest prank that I've ever played on myself in my life, simply because Barney's songs are so memorable. I mean, even to this day, I haven't seen Barney in years now, and I can be driving down the road and be thinking in my, in my mind, when you're brushing your teeth and having so much fun, you never let the water run. Like, why God, why would you let this happen to me? <laughs> but man, we introduced Noah to Barney and he just got sucked into that show. I mean, he became infatuated with Barney. He used to watch Barney on Apple TV and if you have Apple TV, you know there's that recently watched section. If you went to our recently watched All you saw was 20 icons of various Barney shows that had been recently played on our screen. Barney was a part of our morning routine. Barney was a part of our road trips. Barney invaded our lives. And my son just became obsessed with him to the point that any time that theme song would would show up on the screen, the do 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 If you've seen it, you know what I'm talking about. It it'll torment your mind. But anyway, when that would come on the screen, Noah would look and just go, Marnie, yay, Marnie, because he called him Marnie instead of Barney, and and then he would make his way up to the TV and kind of lean in to give Barney a hug, which is kind of sad. There were mornings where my wife and I, we would be laying in bed with the baby monitor on. And I kid you not, there were some mornings where we would hear Noah wake up and he would go, Marnie? And we're like, is Barney in his room? That's a problem. He knew Bar- he could say Barney's name before he could say some of his grandparents' names, which was not popular. Uh, <laughs> But Barney affected my son. I mean, Barney impacted my son's mood. Barney stirred the affections of my kid's heart. Barney captivated my kid's attention. So I just want to call it what it is. Barney was my one-and-a-half-year-old's God. That's really what was happening there. Barney was Noah's God, at least for a period of time. He was. Barney got all of Noah's time, all of his attention, and all of his affection. And as I look back on this season of time for my son, just observing Noah showed me two things about us. The first thing it showed me about us 
is that we are wired to worship. We are. Every single one of us has been wired by God to worship. Like I didn't have to sit my son down and say, hey, Noah, here's the thing. You, um, you're you need to learn how to worship. So one day you're gonna encounter God who is, you're gonna wanna give your time to God and you're, you're gonna find that the affections of your heart are, are stirred by God and your mood's affected by God and then Noah saw a purple dinosaur and was like, this must be the one that my dad has been telling me about so I must give all my worship to it. No, I didn't have to instruct my kid on worship, he just instinctively did it because every single one of us is wired to worship. We've been wired by God to worship God. But the second thing that I learned about us by looking at Noah is that often our worship, which should be directed towards God, is diverted onto lesser things. And I believe that one of those things is actually money. I believe that money is one of the things that we often shift our worship from God to money. And money can often become the thing that consumes our time. Money can be the thing that impacts our mood. Money can be the thing that stirs the affections of our heart. Now, I just want to be very, very clear. Money is a morally neutral thing. It is. Money is a morally neutral thing. The Bible doesn't say that money is the root of all kinds of evil. No, it says that the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Money is a morally neutral thing, but it is also a very important aspect of our lives. Money is an extremely important part of our lives. In reality, it is hard to live life in this world without money. Money impacts our ability to eat. Money impacts our ability to have a roof over our heads. Money is a very important part of life, and that's why I believe Jesus talked about money a lot. 16 out of 38 of Jesus' parables in the Gospels were about money. More is said about money in the New Testament than about heaven and hell combined. I don't know if you realize this, in the Gospels, one out of 10 verses One out of every 10 verses deals directly with the subject of money. Money is so important that Jesus went so far as to say that where your treasure is, there your heart is also. Jesus is saying your attention, your affection, your passion is in some way going to be associated with your money. Money is a very important aspect of life. So here's the question that you need to answer. Will you have your money or will your money have you? That's the question that you need to answer. I promise you this. Whether whether money brings joy or contentment, contentment or whether it brings stress, anxiety, fear, and the need for control all depends upon whether you view money as a gift or as a God. So let's talk about it this morning. If you have a copy of the scriptures, open with me to Ecclesiastes chapter five. If you don't have a Bible, some of our ushers will be bringing one down. And if you don't have a Bible at all, consider this a gift from Faithbridge to you. You can take that home and enjoy it. But Ecclesiastes chapter five 
is going to instruct us about money. And this morning, we're going to learn from um, the wisest person that's ever walked on the face of the earth besides Jesus Christ. It's King Solomon. What you need to know about King Solomon is that he is potentially the wealthiest person to ever walk in this world. Um, People believe that his uh, average annual income was somewhere around $1 billion. And so just to be clear, we are learning from a guy who, who had all the money that he could ever want. He had way more money than he could ever need. He never had to tell himself no. He never had to live by a budget. So when he talks about money, it probably would be worth us listening because money was kind of in King Solomon's wheelhouse. And so listen to what King Solomon tells us. He's going to kind of give us the main point of this morning right here in verses 10 through 12 of chapter 5 of Ecclesiastes. He says this. He says, he who loves money will not be satisfied with money nor he who loves wealth with his income. This also is vanity. When goods increase, they increase who eat them. And what advantage has their owner but to see them with his eyes? With his eyes. Sweet is the sleep of a laborer, whether he eats little or much, but the full stomach of the rich will not let him sleep. Did you see how Solomon started there? He said, he who loves money will not be satisfied. What you need to know is the word love here, it can be used to refer to like the love and the affection that you feel towards um, a family member or friend, but it can also be used to talk about your appetite. So what you hunger for, what you look to in this world to truly satisfy you. And I believe that that is the proper interpretation for this particular passage, because if you look at the context, Solomon is talking about what we look to in this world for satisfaction and fulfillment. And so he's speaking to this tendency in us to hunger for money to look to money to be the thing that satisfies the longings of our soul. And here's his point. His point is very simple. If money is what you look to to feel full, you will go hungry. And this is coming from King Solomon who had all the money that he could ever want. And he's looking at us saying, money will leave you wanting. It will. Think about it. Money can do a lot of things. It really can. Money can do a lot of things. It can make you temporarily, it can make you feel temporarily secure. So you go and you check your bank account balance and it makes you feel comfortable. It makes you feel safe. Money can make you feel temporarily significant. If you have more money than other people, if you're able to go on trips that other other people can't go on, if you're able to drive a car that other people can't drive or live in a bigger house than other people, it can make you feel more significant in this world. Money can also provide you with temporary relief. Man, if you have a hard day or a hard week or a hard month or a hard year, You can go out and you can pacify your pain by spending money. And it can give you temporary relief. But the key word in all of this is the word temporary. Because money cannot satisfy the deepest longings of your soul. Isn't it interesting that the more money you have, often the more money you want, the more you have, the more you want, the more you spend, the more you want, to spend, 
Because money, it, it, it's insatiable. John D. Rockefeller at one point was considered the richest man in the world. The story goes this way. Someone asked, asked him how much money is enough. And the story goes that this is how he replied. Just a little bit more. Wealthiest man in the world, how much is enough? How much money is enough? Just a little bit more. Just a little bit more money. Why? Because the more that you have, the more that you want. The more that you spend, the more that you want to spend. It's insatiable. Money cannot satisfy how you want it to satisfy. So here's what Solomon is getting at. This is the, this is the main point of the morning, so do not miss it. What Solomon is trying to tell us right here is this. Money is a lousy God. That's what he's saying. Money is a lousy God. When it comes to what you hunger for or what you set your appetite on, money is a lousy God. Whatever you look to in this world to satisfy the longings of your soul, that person or thing is your God, at least for that moment. Whatever you look to to make you feel satisfied and meaningful, that at least in the moment is your God. Solomon is trying to tell us money is a lousy God. And so what I want to do this morning is I want to give you um, four reasons why money is such a lousy God. And Solomon is really going to unpack these things for us. The first reason that money is a lousy God is because it has side effects. Money has side effects. You think about those medication commercials, you know, where you see people like laughing and hanging out with their friends or petting their dog or like sitting in a bathtub on a beach next to their lover who's in a separate bathtub and you're like, how did those bathtubs get on the beach? Like, did they bring those out? Like, that would be really difficult, labor intensive, but that's interesting. But you just, you, you look at those commercials and it's all awesome and exciting and how this medication is going to help, help you. And then this very soft, soothing voice comes on at the end and it's like, talk to your doctor before using this medication. Using this medication can cause nausea, vomiting, diarrhea, demon possession, or even death. <laughs> and what's the point? <laughs> the point is... No matter how good this medication can be for you, there is still going to be side effects. And money is the exact same way. Solomon is going to tell us, hey, money has side effects that come with it. And that's why money is such a lousy God. He outlines just two side effects of money. And this is by no means an exhaustive list. It's, he's just giving two specific side effects. The first one is that money can increase the people who call you friend. Look at verse 11. He says, when goods increase, they increase who eat them. And what advantage has their owner but to see them with his eyes? According to Solomon, the more money you have, the more friends you have. When you have a lot of money, there's this tendency for people to actually see you for your money. One source said that by the late 1880s, in regard to John D. Rockefeller, it said that by the late 1880s, he was receiving thousands of letters a week asking for charitable donations. One historian said that he was stalked, badgered, harassed, and followed wherever he went. He couldn't walk down the aisle at his church without people asking for some money. 
I wouldn't be surprised if some of my, my friends who are wealthy, I wouldn't be surprised if they get asked to join in to different investment opportunities or give to nonprofits on a weekly basis. And that's not necessarily, that's not always a bad thing. I'm just saying that it is possible when you have money for people to actually see you for your money. And you know what can happen? When you view money as your God and you sense at all that people are seeing you for your money, you know what can happen is it will cause you to become very cynical about people. And it will cause you to grab hold of your stuff so tightly. And it will cause you to withdraw from people and think the worst of people instead of engage with people. And it will cause you to be much less charitable. The second side effect of money can be that it increases complexity in your life. Look at verse 12. It says, sweet is the sleep of a laborer, whether he eats little or much, but the full stomach of the rich will not let him sleep. Money, money can increase your possessions and it can increase the extravagance of your life, whether it's the vacations that you take or the house that you live in, but money can also increase your, the complexity and the responsibilities of your life. And so what Solomon does is he contrasts two people. He contra- contrasts a wealthy man or woman with a, with a, a man or a woman of, of kind of humble means. And he says, you know, here, look at the laborer. You see the laborer who basically just gets up, goes to work, has just enough to get by, has just enough to eat, and then they get in bed, they lay their head down, and they go straight to sleep. But then he pictures the wealthy person tossing and turning at night because of their wealth. And his point is that an increase in money can increase complexity and responsibility. See, it's nice to have a lot of stuff, but someone's got to manage that stuff. It's nice to have a big house, but someone's got to clean that big house. It's nice to have a a beautiful pool and beautiful landscape, but someone's got to keep up that pool and landscape. It's great to have a lake house or a ranch or a ski house, but someone has to manage those properties. And you can say, well, if I have enough money, I'll just pay someone to take care of those things. Well, you still have to find that person and you still have to oversee that person and ensure that they're actually taking good care of your stuff. It increases complexity and responsibility. I remember talking to one of my friends whose parents had this beautiful house on Lake LBJ that sat like on its own peninsula and he was like, my parents have eight different air conditioning units. He's like, their house has over 100 sprinkler heads. So just imagine, imagine being the sprinkler repair guy who has to go and figure out 100 different sprinkler heads or more. The point is that it increases complexity or responsibility. Now, please hear me. I am not trying to tell you not to make money. To, I'm, I'm not saying don't have a nice lake house, don't have a nice ranch. Please have those things and let Breakaway Ministries borrow them. We would love to do that. <laughs> I'll give you my contact afterward. (laughs) That's not what I'm saying at all. But you know what happens when money becomes your God? What happens is that you find yourself tossing and turning at night because your stuff increases your anxiety. 
And you can't enjoy your stuff because you have to control your stuff. And you can't enjoy watching other people utilize your stuff for fear that they will break it or ruin it. So it fills your life with anxiety. Money is a lousy God because it has its side effects. The second reason that money is a lousy God is because it can be lost. Money's a lousy God because it can be lost. Look at what Solomon says in verses 13 through 17. He says this. He says, there's a grievous evil that I've seen under the sun. Riches were kept by their owner to his hurt. And those riches were lost in a bad venture. And he's a father of a son, but he has nothing in his hand. As he came from his mother's womb, he shall go again, naked as he came, and shall take nothing for his toil that he may carry away in his hand. This also is a grievous evil. Just as he came, so shall he go. And what gain is there to him who toils for the wind? Moreover, all his days he eats in darkness and much vexation and sickness and anger. Solomon pictures a guy who loses everything. And that's a possibility in this world. Money is a lousy God because it can be lost. There are times where you will lose all your wealth and it could be your fault. Like if you take your wealth to Vegas and you bet it all, and you lose it, that's a possibility and that's on you. But then there's times where the market crashes like in 2008. And you didn't have anything to do with it but your portfolio, your everything about your life is devastated by that crash. That's what makes money such, that's why money is such a lousy God is because it can be lost. It's interesting as I was preparing for this talk, I was just looking online and I came across a story which was really a modern day example of the story that we just read about in Ecclesiastes chapter five. It was a story about a guy named David Rather. And David Rather was one of the writers on the TV show uh, Roseanne, if you remember that show several years ago. He was one of the writers, like his name was in the credits. And uh, it was a story about how he went from riches to rags. Let me just read you the first two paragraphs of the article that he wrote. He said this. He said, on Christmas Day 2001, I sat down at my Yamaha G2 grand piano, set up my metronome, and opened up a book of uh, a name I can't pronounce. <laughs> he said it was late afternoon. And the warm orange light of the fading day poured into my five-bedroom house, paid for by my $300,000 a year income as a Hollywood comedy writer in San Marino, California, a wealthy suburb of Los Angeles. My wife, Marina, was cooking dinner for me and our eight children, and it was as happy a Christmas afternoon as I would ever have. On Christmas morning 2008, I woke up on the floor of the 1997 Chrysler minivan I lived in parked behind the Kinkos just two miles away from my old house in San Marino. It was raining and I was cold, even though I had slept in three layers of clothes. And this was his story. And if you go and, uh, you go and read the article, what it basically just, uh, what, what he shares in that article is that, man, he was a guy who graduated with honors from college and he went on to a 
a successful job as a writer for a TV show, and he made tons of money. But that TV show took a toll on his life, and so he had kind of built up um, a good amount of money in savings, and so for the sake of his family, he stepped away from his job, and he took two years off just to be with his family. And after two years, uh, he tried to go back and get a job, and he couldn't. He couldn't land a job, and then the market crashed in 2008 and he lost everything. And so he talks about how um, it kind of, uh, it, his, his marriage dissolved, it split up his family, and he kind of would tell the story of how he was living in his van, he would wake up around four, he would go into Starbucks to kind of warm up and then go to the library and get on the internet to look for jobs. He didn't become an alcoholic, he didn't become a drug addict, it was just a guy who could not get a job. And he tells this story, and it's a modern-day version of what we read about in Ecclesiastes. It, and it just makes the point so beautifully, money is a lousy God because it can be lost. Money can be lost. And some of y'all might be sitting there saying, man, I feel like that, that, that is similar to my story right now, where I feel like I've, I've lost everything. Here's what happens when money becomes your God, what happens when money becomes your God is that you end up living your life full of bitterness and anger towards the world. And you go through life playing the victim card. You're a victim of what has happened in our world. And you go through life living in the past, wishing that you could go back to the glory days of life when that's just not a possibility. The thing that I loved about this article written by this guy, David Rather, is you didn't hear any resentment or bitterness in, my, in his voice. He didn't accuse anyone of doing him wrong. In fact, he, as, as you read his writing, he still to this day, he, he survives just off of basic contract work, but he's content. He's content in life because he realizes that money is not the thing that truly satisfies. Money can never be his God. Just think about how comforting the words are in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5. It says this. It says, keep your life free from the, from the love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you or forsake you. The good news about God is you might lose all your money, but he will never lose you. Money is a lousy God because it can be lost. The third reason that money is a lousy God is because its intended purpose is to be a gift. That's its intended purpose. It, 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 is, it is in our lives as a gift. Listen to what Solomon says in verses 18 and 19. He says this. He says, behold, what I've seen to be good and fitting. So just think about this. Solomon has been talking negatively about money. He's been telling us, here's why it's bad. But then he turns the corner and says, let me tell you why it's good. He says, behold, what I've seen to be good and fitting. 
It's to eat and drink and find enjoyment in all the toil which, which one, with which one toils under the sun, the few days of his life that has, God has given him, for this is his lot. Everyone also to whom God has given wealth and possessions and power to enjoy them and to accept his lot and rejoice in his toil, this is the gift of God. I want you to just see the recurring words there. The words that we saw show up multiple times are the words gift and given and then joy and enjoyment. Money is a lousy God because its intended purpose is to be a gift. We first have to realize what is a gift in our lives. Solomon tells us what it is. All of life is really a gift from God. The fact that you woke up this morning isn't a given, it's a gift. Everything about your life, the oxygen in your lungs, the car that you drive, the house that you have, it's a gift, it's not a given. That includes the money that you have. Any money that you do have, is, it, it is a gift from God. It's interesting, as I was preparing for this talk, I wanted to find quotes from people just saying, man, being rich is miserable. But I didn't find that. No one's out there saying that. And the reason why is that, is that money can be not just a good thing, but it can be a God thing. Now, let me just be very clear. Please don't miss what I'm about to say. What I'm not saying is if you love God, you will be wealthy. What I'm not saying is that if you're a passionate follower of Jesus Christ, then you will experience material wealth in this world. That's not what I'm saying. But what I am saying is when we do have money or any money that we do have, is a straight gift from God. It is. It's not what is rightfully yours. It's not what you've earned. Even if you've worked hard, how did you get that job? How did you have that high capacity or, or that brilliant mind? It was given to you by God. So ultimately, whatever wealth you have, we can trace it all the way back to God. It's not a given, it is a gift. What's Solomon, what's God through Solomon's message? Enjoy it. Enjoy it. Enjoy it as a gift. Eat good food, have nice trips, but also experience the joy that comes from giving your money away. Enjoy your money. Enjoy it. Let it be what it is. Let it be a gift. Watch what happens in verse 20 when it is a gift. It says, for he will not much remember the days of his life because God keeps him occupied with joy in his heart. Isn't that what you want? Joy in your heart? Whether you have a little or a lot, it's possible for both. Joy, peace, contentment. Why? Because money has its rightful place. It's nice to have, but you don't have to have it. Your joy isn't contingent on it. It's, it's, it's simply a gift. That's, that's all it is. Let me just tell you this. If, if you want to experience that joy, that peace, that contentment in your life, especially in regards to money, whether you have little or a lot, 
let me just encourage you to do two things. The first one is this. Spend your time focusing on what you do have instead of what you don't have. Spend your time being thankful for what you do have instead of what you don't have. The second thing that I would encourage you to do is this. Instead of viewing yourself as an owner, view yourself as a steward. View everything you have as belonging to God. View yourself as a steward, not as an owner. Anything you have, your bank account, your cars, your house, they don't belong to you. They actually belong to God. One of my, uh, one of my favorite stories, I'll, I'll never forget. Um, I was uh, living in Austin, and the church I used to be a part of used to do a wakeboard camp. And so it was this one week in the summer where uh, these people would bring out their 60, 70, $80,000 wakeboard boats to drive middle school kids around the lake. And I remember walking down the dock and seeing my friend, David, just standing in his $60,000, $70,000 boat, just looking at the seat on his boat. I was like, David, what's wrong? And he told me, uh, what you need to know is that um, he had been driving some middle school girls around, and for some reason they had brought Sharpies on his boat, and um, Sharpie marker had gotten onto the seats of his $67,000 boat. And so I said, David, what's wrong? And he, this, these were his words, they were amazing. He said, I'm just sitting here wondering why God wanted Sharpie on his boat. <laughs> you know what he was saying? He's saying, I wouldn't have chosen to decorate my boat that way, but this is God's boat. And if God wants Sharpie on his boat, I guess we're gonna have Sharpie on his boat. And if you were to get to know this guy, what you'd find out is that he sold his company probably 15 years ago and made millions and has been retired for the last 15 years, retired at a young age. Everything he has belongs to God. They have people in their house all the time. Everything they own, they share it with other people liberally. And he just came to a point in his life where he just said, you know what, I just came to this point where I, it was my conviction that anyone uh, in ministry who asks for money, I'm gonna give it to them. And so you go to their house and you look at their fridge and it is covered from top to bottom of newsletters from different missionaries in the world. Because they view their money not as a given or a God, but as a gift. And so they're able to enjoy life. They're able to enjoy what they have. There's no need to control it. They can watch other people enjoy their stuff because ultimately their joy isn't contingent upon whether it breaks or not. The last reason that money is a lousy God is simply this. The reason that money is such a lousy God is because no matter how much you have, you will still need Jesus Christ. It's very simply. Money is a lousy God because no matter how much money you have, you will still need Jesus Christ. Jim Carrey, the actor, said this about money and fame. He says, I think everybody should get rich and famous and do everything they've ever dreamed of so that they can see it's not the answer. 
Blaise Pascal put it this way, there's a God-shaped vacuum in the heart of every man which cannot be filled by any created thing but only by God the creator made known through Jesus Christ. Doesn't matter how much money you have, you will still need Jesus Christ. You cannot buy your way into a relationship with God. You cannot give enough money to a church or a nonprofit that would cause God to look at you with favor. Because Christianity isn't about putting your trust in what you have, it's about putting your trust in who has you. See, the reality is we could never have enough for God. That's why Jesus Christ had to step down of heaven, out of heaven and come to earth and be crucified on a cross. And 1 Corinthians chapter 6 actually tells us that we have been bought at a price that the price of our lives was equivalent to the body and blood of Jesus Christ. That is what your eternity cost. That's what your salvation cost. That's what a relationship with God cost. It cost the body and blood of the Son of God. Amen. So it doesn't matter how much money you have. Amen. Money can never make you right with a perfect God. Amen. It can't. So we all need Jesus Christ. You know, I just think about Judas, the story of Judas, the one who betrayed Jesus Christ. He traded Jesus in for 30 pieces of silver. And if you were to go and read that story, you know what happens is, is Judas gets that 30 pieces of silver and then he ends up going, getting a field and committing suicide. Like Judas chose his God. Judas chose for his God to be money. When he went to the chief priests and to the scribes and made a deal with them, he was simply declaring which God he, need, he believed he needed most. He needed money more than he needed Jesus. But part of me just wonders if when he got that 30 pieces of silver, I wonder if he just ran it through his fingers and thought to himself, I chose the wrong God. I chose the wrong God because money cannot satisfy the deepest longings of our soul. Money is a lousy God. So the question you need to answer this morning is, will you have your money or will your money have you? True joy, true peace, true contentment, especially in the midst of this holiday season where money is on our minds more than any other time of the year. True peace is found in viewing money as a gift instead of a God. Let's pray together. My fear for any of us this morning is that we would get to the end of our lives and kind of like Judas we would realize that we can't take anything we've earned with us. And my fear is that we get to the end of our lives and have the realization that Judas probably had, I chose the wrong God. So maybe this morning, I just am, I'm inviting you to take a step to let money have its rightful place in your life, whether you have a lot or a little. Would you just let it have its rightful place? 
that whatever you do have, it's a gift. And that you would just sense the peace and the joy that comes from letting Jesus have his rightful place as the King of kings and Lord of lords, the one who has promised to never leave you or forsake you. Even when you don't know if you're going to make it through the day. Even when you look at your bills and it just doesn't seem like it could ever work out in any way, that Jesus Christ has what you need. And he is enough. Lord Jesus, we need you this morning. We thank you for who you are and what you've done, Lord. This is easy for me to say from the stage, but it's going to take work for us to walk out of here and apply, Lord. Lord, we just are going to bank on the fact that money is a lousy God, so we're not going to look to it to do what only you can do, which is satisfy the deepest longings of our souls. So would you work in our hearts and work in our lives, Lord, wherever there's an unhealthy attachment to money, an unhealthy view of it, wherever there's too strong of a need for control, wherever there's stinginess or tight fists, Lord, would you just move in our hearts, I pray, for your glory and for our good. In Jesus' name, amen. Welcome to Postscript. Here we hope to answer your questions and help you dig deeper into the messages and sermons at FaithBridge by talking with the teacher of the day. Hi, and welcome to Postscript. I'm Luann Riley, Grow Group and Discipleship Director, and I'm here with Timothy Atik, the Director of Breakaway Ministries, who just brought us a message called Money, Gift, or God? Welcome, Timothy. Thanks. So what an interesting choice uh, that you brought here today on December 3rd as we all are approaching the holidays and uh, just survived Black Friday and yep. all the holiday spending. And so today we're talking about money and how our view of it really mm-hmm. shapes uh, our life and our faith and our relationship yep. with God. Um, and so I'm listening today and I'm thinking, this is really hard. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm evaluating my own life and just thinking through um, just the holidays and the gifts we have planned down, all, all, the, all the spending that we're doing. Yeah. Um, and uh, so for me, there's a lot of application and a lot of things that I struggle with too, but I just wanted to ask you, for, for you, like what are, um, what are ways this plays out in your life? Yeah. What are warning signs uh, that maybe you've shifted from one place to the other and in your stewardship. Um, How does that? Well, my plan was to give this message and get in my car and go straight back to College (laughs) Station and y'all figure it out on your own. So since that's not a possibility, uh, I, I can only speak from my own life. And I'll just say that when it comes to money, every single person's situation is, is different. And so, I don't want to give overly simplistic and generic answers to really tough situations for each individual. But speaking from my own life, I can find myself on hitting two extremes. One extreme is where I find myself laying in bed at night, not being able to sleep because I'm anxious and worried about money. And some of it is the what ifs 
it's me allowing myself to go down a hypothetical road, play out scenarios in my mind of what if this expense and this expense and this expense and think about taxes and all of that stuff. And I consider that an extreme mm -hmm. because God has called me not to be anxious about anything. That's actually a command in the scripture. So for me, that is a, that's a red flag mm -hmm. that money has taken a wrong place in my life. And so in those moments, I have to, the, the, the hard thing is that in those moments, it's not just about pulling back and like getting the right answer. The, the reality is I'm in a situation that I can't necessarily control. Yeah. And so allowing myself to step back and say, you know what, God, I, I can't control this situation. I, I'm not in control. I can be thankful for what you have given me. Mm -hmm. I can be faithful with what you have given me. Maybe it means that we need to go over the budget again and see where we're allocating things. And I've told myself that I've cut everything I can cut, but sometimes that's really not true. Mm -hmm. And I've got to evaluate my wants and my needs even more in this particular time in life. But I do know that I can't stay in this place where I'm worrying and anxious because mm -hmm. That isn't That's not what God, what God wants for us. The, the other extreme that uh, I've found myself in is where I'm not thinking about money at all. Hmm. And it's, it's just easier to not think about it. It is. It's life is busy. Life is hectic. We just had another kid. Hey, we're just going to get through. So we're going to pick up every day. We're going to pick up food every day. And we just, we don't have time to think about it. It's just too busy. And that that is an extreme as well mm -hmm. because the fact that I'm not thinking about it at all also shows that I'm not being intentional with where my money is going. Mm -hmm. And if God is giving me something to steward, that means I'm not thinking at all about where His money is intentionally going. Now that, even if I can pay off my credit card bill in full every month, I'm still in an extreme because I'm not being intentional with what God yeah. has given me. So in those times, you know, the answer isn't to become relentless about a budget to where, you know, multiple times a day, every day, I'm checking and making sure and that I think people can make their budget um, their God. Mm -hmm. And they find because so much pride control, right, and, they, and controlling that's, that's that. control mm -hmm. for them. Yeah. And it zaps all the enjoyment out of life. Um, in those times where I'm not thinking about money at all, I think it comes back to, you know, God, this money is, is not mine, it's mm -hmm. yours. We are going to enjoy life. We are going to pick mm -hmm. up food. And there's times where it makes sense, where life is stressful, and, and that's what we need to do. Or our marriage can really use a getaway. And so we're going to spend money. We're even going to dip into savings to do it because our marriage would benefit mm -hmm. from it but we're going to be intentional. We're going to think about where our money is going. We're going to sit down and analyze if there's anything we do need to cut or reallocate just so that we are being good stewards. Mm -hmm. The other, so those two things are warning. Those are red flags. The other red flag in my life is when it comes to giving. Mm -hmm. Um, because I really do believe that there's more joy, that the greatest amounts of joy is really found when you are giving yourself away and not controlling your life and hoarding your life. But 
it's hard to get to that point. And there's times in my life where I've found myself thinking like, okay, I just want to make sure that I give 10% this year. So whatever that is, let me just kind of mindlessly, I'm going to set up auto withdrawals and I'm just not going to think about it. I'm just, I gave my 10%. Oh, this year I even gave 11%. That makes me feel even better about myself. Well, that's not, that's not what God wants us to do. He's given us money to finance his kingdom. He, he's given us his money to finance his kingdom. His kingdom doesn't need financing, but he's given it to us to, to just play a part. Yeah, to be part of what To he's be a doing. part of it. And so anytime I'm just trying to check off a box, like, oh, this person asked for money. Okay, what's the minimum amount I can give? Or I just give a blanket gift of 25, you know, mm -hmm. those are, those are still red flags because it's God, you, you want me to be a part of your kingdom work. Where do you want me investing? How much do you want us investing? Do you want us investing more this month than last month? That's why if you set up a reoccurring thing, then you need to also set up a reminder every month to pray for the gift that you're giving so that you're staying engaged with what you're giving. To yeah, you. we uh, back in January, uh, really talked a lot this year here at FaithBridge about generosity, yeah. um, you know, and God calling and God is so generous with yeah. us just in his grace and his gifts and all that he's given us through Jesus. Uh, and for us to grow yeah. in our generosity too. And one thing that I've learned it, it is, it is besides the intentionality you're talking about, it's a constant evaluation, yeah, you know, of have I gotten comfortable? Is it sacrificial anymore? Is it not? Um, and as life changes, just evaluating where I am in my walk with Jesus in terms of being generous with people mm -hmm. um, and ministries and gifts and things that we're giving. Um, and so I believe that today when you talked about this heart concept of your money, then in order to keep your heart in check, yeah. you've got to be accountable uh, to God and to evaluate and to be intentional and to keep those things in check yeah. um, to be able to continue to grow yeah. Uh, in this area. And so uh, as hard as a message like yeah. this is to hear at the beginning of December, I think it's very well timed so that yeah. over the rest of December, as we start into January, we're thinking about it and we're being intentional yeah. and we're evaluating what God has for us. Well, I think the fact that Jesus talked so much about money, it means that our prayer life should reflect what he talked about a lot, that it should be a part of our prayer life, whether mm -hmm. it's dealing with the anxiety that we're feeling or asking God to help us be more intentional with, mm -hmm. with our giving. So if any, if there's any application, it's that it's spend more time intentionally praying about what God wants you doing with your money or how to deal with the fact that you don't feel like you have enough, but mm -hmm. to take it before the Lord and let him lead and, and direct. And also for you to seek wise counsel, seek mm -hmm. wise counsel from the church yeah. and from, from others. So, All right. Uh, what yeah. a great message. So glad to have you back with Thanks. us yeah. and uh, glad you're joining us here for Postscript. We'll see you back here next week. Thanks for joining us for Postscript. Help us keep the podcast interactive by submitting your questions during the morning services. Learn more at faithbridge.org slash postscript.